If you have a child with type 1 diabetes, whether they were diagnosed five days ago or five years ago, you continue to have questions. These are the questions about the emotional side of living with diabetes, the questions about how to parent diabetes. I'm Joanne Robb, a psychotherapist and fellow T1D mom, and I've been parenting diabetes for almost 15 years. In this podcast, I'm here to answer your questions about the emotional and relational challenges that come with being a caregiver for a child with type 1 diabetes. Before we dive in, I have to remind you that I'm not a doctor and nothing that I offer here should be considered medical advice. If you want to make any changes to the way you or your child is managing their type 1, please be sure to check in with your doctor or medical team. Let's get started. Hi, my name is Lupita. I have a child. Uh, his name is Nash and he is nine years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's soon going to be 10 years old this month. And um, he was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes four years ago now. Four years yeah. ago. Uh-huh. Four years ago now. Uh, they go by so quickly. Uh, but yes, it's already been four years. And it's been the journey of my life. And it will that. continue and it will continue to be forever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, um, I wanted to ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Is there like an age that children are expected to be independent when it comes to their care, their lifestyle, which is uh, counting carbs, perhaps pricking their fingers. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of technology that they can use nowadays. And my son is under a 24-hour Dexcom monitor. Mm -hmm. He is using that. So um, we only do the pricking of the fingers in in occasions where maybe a sensor went out and we need to find something out. We do it the traditional way. But for the most part, he's being monitored uh, 24-7 and I can see his numbers. And I am basically in tune with with his health and everything 24-7 that Mm -hmm. way. We have had some tough experiences with doctors and and with with his condition he's seen a lot of doctors and what is happening now is that uh, he is being asked to be independent very early age in Mm -hmm. my opinion but I am no expert so I wanted to know if if it is correct that I am being made Uh, feel bad because my son is nowhere near ready to doing things like that, like getting a a needle ready for him to poke himself with it and give himself his own medicine Mm -hmm. and figure out how many units of that he should be having. To me, it's common sense that he's too little to do things like Mm -hmm. that. I don't feel comfortable letting him do things like that himself, but the doctors want to force me to let him do it himself at this age. Mm -hmm. And because he doesn't want to do it and because he's not doing it, they make me feel bad about that. Like I am failing as a parent and taking care of him in a way because he doesn't want to do that. Yeah, that's an important question, Lupita. Thank you for bringing it. It's a big thing in your life, right? Like that balance of listening to the medical experts and listening to your son and listening to the inside of yourself, right? Because inside you, you're saying he's too little. And the doctors, it sounds like are pressuring you to have him be more independent. So I would agree with you that he's pretty little to be asked to take on all responsibility for management. That seems about right to me at nine. I will also say that there's a range. So what I notice is that kids who are diagnosed younger, 
sometimes actually mom takes care of things for longer, weirdly. And kids who are diagnosed at nine, let's say, want to do more themselves. So it's not like he's not capable of doing it. It's what you're saying is you and he agree that he's too young right now to take it on, right? He's not wanting to, and you're not feeling like he's ready. And I think you honor that. You know, I think, I think we're looking at a long, a long arc here till when he's, let's say 18 ish, when you're, you know, depending on where he's headed out in the world, if he will live at home, if he will go to college, who knows. Right. But you're looking at how to get him to independent by 18 ish. (laughs) Right. And just like when your kid leaves home, you want them to know how to push the buttons on the washing machine and you want them to know how to clean a bathroom. You are going to want him to know how to do a carb count, how to dose himself, how to change his own set, all those things. That doesn't mean that all has to happen at nine. Right. Right. There are or 10 of- or, or 12 or 14, honestly, like, cause I see me doing this for as long as I can. I was very confused. Cause I was like, okay, like you mentioned, right. Uh, in the beginning, this is a big thing for me because there's these experts, these, um, in in my opinion, of course, these doctors with abundance of knowledge who are not seeing eye to eye with me. Mm -hmm. So could it be that I'm wrong and that I need to change the way I look at at this situation? Mm -hmm. And and I honestly, in my heart, don't feel like it's because Nash, he's, He's my baby still. He's I know he's not a newborn, but he's nine. So he is he is my my little boy. And and I want to make this uh, life change that has been completely difficult, more of something that is a lifestyle that that he can manage perfectly when the right time comes. Uh, And I and like you said, adulthood would be that time, you know, Mm -hmm. when he's gonna be on his own. As long as I am around, I find nothing wrong with with helping him out with anything and everything that he may need. Mm -hmm. Let me say a few things about what I hear I'm hearing from you, Lupita. First of all, I think Uh it's lovely that you want to help him out. And I think that that's a really beautiful stance of scaffolding. And I want to be careful here because when he turns 18 or becomes an adult, it's not like a switch is going to flip and suddenly he's going to take it on. There is a transition period that, that is necessary where it's going to be important for you to scaffold his independence around management. And you said, I, I can't quite quote the way you just said it, but you said something like, so he can do it perfectly when he reaches adulthood. I can pretty much guarantee you he's not going to do it perfectly. And so you're going to have to tolerate some of his missteps as he learns to be independent, right? Because that's part of what that transition normally looks like. There are very, very few children who do it all that well as the responsibility is transferred, which starts happening, I'd say, in the mid-teens, right? And again, there's a range. Right. And that would make sense to me. Mm-hmm. Like if, if mm-hmm. he's already heading to high school, I mean, he should be able to know how to do with some of these things. I Not an elementary reasonable. child. Yeah, I think no. that's totally reasonable. And I think listening to your insights about what your kid needs and knowing that you can wait a little longer without hurting him is fine. Right. Because he's not on a pump. Pumps are out there. They've been out there and they're very cool. You know, they, they help a lot. And some children can see themselves without a pump because it becomes part of them. 
part of their life. But for my son, he's he doesn't want to try that yet. So we're doing the traditional small syringe. So it's mm-hmm. it's preparing a needle, putting the correct amount of units in there. Mm-hmm. And and to me, that's big, like the mm-hmm. units. We don't want to get those wrong. I, and he wears glasses, Nash wears glasses. So mm-hmm. I just can't imagine him, you know, shuffling everything he does and then trying to measure units on a tiny little needle that you have to get it right. Mm-hmm. And and it's just, um, thank you for, for letting me know that I'm not off from thinking the way I am thinking as far as he is too little and he shouldn't be expected to know those things. And it's okay that he doesn't. I think it really is okay that he doesn't at this age. And again, you have to listen to your insides and keep your eye on your time frame, right? Which you've got nine years till he's 18. That's a good long time. And he might yeah. wear a pump somewhere in there so that this mm-hmm. issue of pulling up insulin and syringes and having to do all the math is no longer the issue, right? There's a lot that can change between now and then. And so, you know, take a breath. It's working for you guys for now. I think that's reasonable. And you'll keep your eye on what he needs to learn how to do next, I'm sure. Thank you. What do you suggest or how should I approach his endocrinologist next time about how how he's not going to be doing it by himself right now? How should I tell him without sounding rude? Because I have gotten in a little bit of trouble before for being a a strong advocate for my son. So I don't want to ruffle anybody's feathers anymore, you know, because that's not what I'm trying to do here. I'm curious, what does that mean? You've gotten into trouble for being a strong advocate for your son. I've had discussions with doctors that I don't understand where they're coming from with certain things that they they tell me. And I have uh, been, I have put my foot down very strongly and, and said, no, that's, that's not what, that, that doesn't make sense. Or, um, and I question their authority. I do it for, because I'm a parent, I'm a parent who's worried about what they're telling me. And one day they tell me one thing, another day they tell me something different. So I have a few thoughts for you. It feels to me like you're a really attentive mom, right? You're very careful and really attentive. And Mm -hmm. I think that your challenge is going to be helping your son to become the man he's meant to be. And that includes his independence and that includes around diabetes. So I don't know all these details about what the doctors are seeing and reacting to, but Mm -hmm. I can hear from you that your mama bearness is very high. And I'm sure his diagnosis kicked that higher, right? Yes. Yes. And that your task as a parent is going to be to turn the volume down on that because it's going to be important for him to feel competent, to feel safe in the world, right? So if you are feeling like the world is unsafe and you're pulling him back and back and back, then he gets a message that the world is not a safe place for him because of his diabetes. Like what, what you want to send him a message about is that is that he can do anything any other child can do, even with diabetes, that he Mm -hmm. is competent to take on his own care, that even if he makes a mistake, which he will do, (laughs) that you can help him him correct for that, right? That's really important messaging. And so I hear you saying to him, 
I am here. I will protect you. I will take care of you. And that's gorgeous messaging. I have no problem with that messaging. You need to add to it. I am here. You are important. I will take care of you. And I will help you learn how to become an adult by helping you learn how to take care of yourself, which includes functioning in the world. Right? Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. So what's the teariness? (laughs) Because you're getting to me. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Because I know it's going to be tougher for him. That's why I think you should be at camp, right? Because the truth is, like, I have a 23-year-old with diabetes, and yeah, it's tougher for him. And he's doing amazing things. My son is going to be moving to Spain, right? So it (laughs) it is tougher, but it's not impossible. And so that feeling you have of like, it's too much, that's yours to work on. Your task as a mommy is to make sure he knows he can do anything. And that's why I think going to camp will normalize it both for you, but also for him. Like everyone here is has diabetes and some of the kids are pricking their own finger and some of the kids do their own set changes. And look, you'll see all these counselors who are 20 something years old and half of them have diabetes and look at them. They're in college. They're doing all the stuff. My God, they're amazing. I I think it would be important for you to get somewhere in your bones that he's safe and okay. Right. Because you have in your bones that he's not safe and he needs you. And without you, he will be unsafe and he would do, he would die. This is not true. He needs you now. (laughs) He needs you now, but he's not going to need you, you know, and you want him to not. And you know, that is exactly what I, what I want from the people that I love the Mm -hmm. most. That Mm -hmm. is exactly what I want. I don't want them to need me, you know, like I want them to be, you know, I I want them to, to do it themselves and Mm -hmm. me be like backstage, you know, and, and, and that's why I have devoted so much since he was diagnosed, um, so much of everything just to him because because I did get that in, in, in engraved in my head. Like, this is really, really bad. And all these things, awful things could happen if you don't do this right. And if you don't, you know, and all these scary thoughts that, that the, the doctors themselves put in my head. So, so uh, I, might, I might clear the air with the doctors. Right. Like I might say to the doctor, hey, I know I have a mama bear problem, but I need you to partner with me differently than telling me that I'm wrong. Because at nine years old, there's nothing wrong with me doing most of his care. At 18, there would be something really wrong with me doing most of his care. Right. But you have and to that work would make sense to me. Right. Mm-hmm. You have you doctor have to work with me to get me there to help me let go instead of just beating me up over the head about this. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Perfect. I, Lupita, I have to say, I do wonder about racism here because I think that you're Latina. I'm, mm-hmm. I think by your name, yes, your accent, yes. and mm-hmm. I'm guessing your doctors are white or could be. Yes. An Indian. Uh, an Indian. Okay. I wonder if there's a perception that because you're Latina, there's prejudice assumption. I don't feel like it's a prejudice really, but it's an, a, a characterization that you come from a more protective culture and family, which I think mm-hmm. that, that Wait, is, I do. You do. And that's, do. A, that's largely a good thing, right? But they're, yeah, they're, holding so. that, they're holding that in a particular way, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think they're seeing nothing. They're seeing something important, but it, what they're seeing is not that your nine-year-old needs to take care of himself. 
that's not that's not the reality of what they're seeing. What they're seeing, the, their anxiety basically is pushing them because they're not seeing how you're planning to let him go. Do and I, I think I think that. naming that to them and saying, hey, I want to let him go. Of course, I want to let him go. He needs to learn how to do this on his own eventually. I'm not ready. He's not ready. What would a first step be? Work with me to take baby steps because all these steps you want me to do is too much. I'm going to go to camp. I'm going to do these things to figure out how to normalize this for both of us. But I need you to partner with me differently around this. That feels like what I would do. I would name it and make it explicit so that they really have to take you a little more seriously and not dismiss you as the crazy, you know, Latina mama bear. Because even though they're not saying that out loud, I think. Right, right. <laughs> I think so. Too. Oh, absolutely. I think you nailed it right there. Like yeah. it's, yeah, that sounds very accurate. Yeah. Because yeah, you're because you're doing two things. You're naming their bad behavior <laughs> politely. Yeah. And you're also yeah. saying, I get your goal. I get your end point. I need to get to that end point in a different way. Let's partner so that we can get to that end point together. I want your help getting to that end point. I agree that he needs to be independent at 18, but I don't think he needs to be fully independent now. So like okay, maybe he could learn to whatever, prick his finger. That's fine. Count carbs. Count maybe. carbs. That's yeah. It. Like you could uh -huh. have, you know, whatever it is, whatever feels like the right first step for him and for you. Right. Right. But right. It doesn't have to be all at once. And I think right. baby steps here is really important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. You're, oh, welcome. you're, so, you're so awesome. Thank you. So I may welcome. know I may know, so I'm not going to forget. I'm not going to, and, and I will, I, I will definitely follow your advice. Thank you so well, much. Good for luck that. with that email and let me know how it goes. We're going to take a quick break and be back with more answers. We're going to take a quick break and be back with more answers. Right now, your child's type one diagnosis feels like the biggest blow ever. You feel worried for their health and watchful all the time of pretty much everything, blood sugar, food, exercise. If your child was diagnosed in the last year and you want to get back to the calm and sturdy parent you were before diagnosis, the place to start is with Sweet Talks After Diagnosis coaching program. Designed just for parents like you, by me, a fellow T1D mom and experienced therapist and diabetes coach, After Diagnosis will help you find a faster path to calm. When you're doing better with diabetes, your child will do better too. To find out more, go to diabetessweettalk.courses. I have a daughter, Olivia. She mm -hmm. is 17, just turned 17. Oh, she wears a continuous glucose monitor and she's got the tandem pump and they talk to each other. Mm -hmm. So that's been transformative because we were just running into some of the issues that you were discussing with the last person. Yeah. And then we got this pump that did everything and it just, her A1C went way up and now she's like in a good range. So that was really, I want to say how much that was really good for our family. There's a few things. Olivia's done, doing so much better with controlling everything. Our relationship is so, so much better. She's off on her first solo trip right now, actually. So there's just a few little things I wondered if you could help me with. Mm -hmm. She um, 
loses track of her stuff. I've created so many like little emergency kits in her backpack and like they all disappear and I've had to replace it. And it's very expensive to replace all the like the meters and stuff. And then when we need them, we can never find them. And it's really frustrating. Mm -hmm. And along that same note, she likes to leave her diabetes trash all over the house, like all the set changes and all the needles, like we all sit on them and get poked all the time. (laughs) kids man they're we love them and like when they get older we're like yes it's time for you to go (laughs) oh nicola there's no magical answer on this i think it's so just out of curiosity is she a rising senior is she gonna be a senior Mm -hmm. i think gently reminding her you know when you do a set change like please let's get this stuff in the trash and if you're there with her like if you're nearby when she's doing it you know either saying, did you want me to throw, like, again, I think this could be a place where you could explicitly name that you are helping her and that you're happy to help her, but that if she's by herself, she should be remembering and just be gentle. It's one of those things. It's like the same as kids putting their dishes in the sink instead of in the dishwasher or washing them, right? Like it's, it's the same kind of behavior. It's not diabetes specific, but it feels that way, especially when you're sitting on needles. In terms of losing stuff, I just... I mean, I have a thought of like, what's her general executive function like? Is that feel like normal for her? And I, do, I don't have a magical solution for you, Nicola. I think that, you know, if you felt really punitive and pissed, you could say to her, next time you lose this, you're going to need to pay for it, or you're going to need to spend the time replacing all the parts. I'm not sure I would go that route. I think that I would know with sadness in my heart that she's going to struggle with this when she's on her own. And she will have to figure this out um, mm-hmm. when she's on her own. I mean, there's only so much as parents that we can scaffold and support. And these kinds of things feel really normal to me mm-hmm. right? and really painful to us as parents and mothers. Like we can see like, oh my God, she's going to lose the stuff when she's in college or when she's on her own. And that's going to be totally stressful for her and for me. And, you know, and she is, and she is, I mean, I'm not, I don't have crystal ball. I'm not predicting it or wishing it on you, but my guess is given what you're describing, that that's what will happen. And that's okay too. That's like how people learn things. True. Okay. I don't have magic for you here. I'm so sorry. I mean, just hearing that that's like, you're not that surprised by it is comforting in a way. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. No, I'm not that surprised. I mean, I think different kids have different executive function skills. I also think that Like I'm smiling because I'm thinking before my son went to college, I was freaking out. Like, how is this possible that he, like, he never wakes up in the night for a low, how are we going to do this? And it was actually, I think the year before he left was when finally Tandem and Dexcom started talking to each other. So I'm trying to remember if that's true. I think it is, you know, but it was a very stressful thought. And I talked to a young woman who was in her twenties, already had launched herself and said, how did this work? How did you become responsible enough to do this on your own? And she said, well, my parents did it for me up until the moment I left. And then I took it on. Like I just did. And I just slept less well and I slept less soundly and I took care of it myself. And I think that sometimes our children surprise us because Mm. they are more capable than we think, not always. And they definitely all have growth areas. But uh-huh. I think that you have to remember that she's still got a year before she's launched. And I'm talking about launching. You're not. So maybe you're not as worried about it as I'm projecting, but she's going to grow a lot. There's a lot of room for growth and we are, can be continually and pleasantly surprised by the places where our children you know, can do more than we think that they can. That's true. Like so far, she's already like completely bowled me over without her growth. So yeah. I- 
think you're right. No. And that last year before they turn 18, it's kind of remarkable what, how they change. I think that's exciting. Yeah. That's a sweet way to see it. Yes. Nicola, thank you. It's so nice to meet you. You've got questions. I've got answers. If you want to get some help with the emotional and parenting challenges you're facing with navigating diabetes management for your kid, go to www.diabetesweettalk.com and click on the banner at the top of the page to register for a live recording session. I'm looking forward to helping you with whatever your diabetes challenge is. Thanks again for listening today. If you want answers to your questions about parenting a kid with type 1, I'd like to invite you to join our live recording sessions so you can ask your questions in person. Not only will you get the support you need and deserve, but through the podcast, you'll be helping other T1D parents to know that they're not alone with the challenges they're facing. To join one of my live recording sessions, simply go to www.diabetessweettalk.com and click the banner at the top of the page to register. Again, go to www.diabetessweettalk.com and click the banner at the top of the page to register. 